You can be seated. Good morning. My name is Krista, and this is a part of our service called Imago, which means face or image of God. And this is where we get to talk about how we see the image of God in our everyday life. I love snow, and I always have. I grew up just outside of Annapolis, Maryland, where it snows plenty, but just two inches of snow would shut down the whole city. And so when I was little, I would get so excited when there's any inkling of snow or ice in the forecast, and I would call my friends and be like, hey, you're doing the snow dance tonight, right? And like, yeah, okay, let's do it at like 938, because that is lucky. And so... <laughs> I would do this. I would run inside and I would turn on the news and I would watch the weather forecast and I would look out the window and I'd stay up so late waiting and watching to see if the snow would fall and then I would wake up early because this is before you could like scroll on your smartphone and see the forecast and see and watch all the school districts scroll by. <coughs> I lived with such hope with this expectant longing for this thing that I so deeply desired, a snow day where I didn't have to go to school. So I wonder when it happened that I stopped living like that, looking like a fool, <laughs> with my pajamas on inside out and backwards. I wonder when all I started to really expect was disappointment, when I settled for good enough and stopped dreaming of the great that could be. I think that hope is the bravest, most courageous, most dangerous, and foolish thing we can choose. But without it, our souls will die. We talk a lot about hope in this place. It's kind of a funny thing, because when we talk about it here, we talk about it with great joy and celebration, and rightly so. We have a great hope in Jesus Christ. But we rarely talk about when hope hurts. The pain of longing and desire. The, the reality that we're not made for this world. We talk a lot about the already of his salvation, but not so much about the not yet of his redemption. The best definition for hope that I've come across is this. Expectant longing. Hope is not a passive resignation to the way things are because someday in the next life things will be made right. Hope is a passionate protest for the way things should be. By very nature, hope means that something is not right. Something's not as it should be. So hope is an outcry for the kingdom of heaven to come to earth here and now before our very eyes. And I'm sure for many of us, we can point to moments in our stories that have proven to us that hope is dangerous. One of the most gripping statements I've come across in all of scripture is in Luke 22 on the road to Emmaus. These two men are walking along the road, and the Bible says their faces were drawn with misery as they recounted the death of Jesus. But we had hoped, one of them said, oh, we had hoped that he would be the one to save us and set us free. But we had hoped. We had hoped we'd be married before we turned 30. We hoped we'd be pregnant by now. We hoped our child would be with us still. 
We'd hoped for the dream job or the promotion. We had hoped that we wouldn't have to scrape our bank account at the end of every month just to eat. We had hoped we wouldn't be treated differently because of the color of our skin. We had hoped. We have all this data that proves to us how dangerous and foolish it is to hope. Proverbs 13 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. In the message, it says unrelenting disappointment makes the heart sick. And because we've experienced the heart sickness of unmet desire, we stopped hoping. We stopped living with expectancy, with hope and desire on our sleeve because the thought of, but what if he doesn't, haunts us. We stop living with our pajamas on inside out and backwards, waiting and watching for the snow to fall. Instead, we numb. We live nice, safe lives with minimal desire, because at least that way we can manage the pain. John Eldridge says in his book uh, called Desire, he says, something awful has happened, something terrible, something worse even than the fall of man. For in that greatest of all tragedies, we merely lost paradise, and with it, everything that made life worth living. But what happened has since then is unthinkable. We've gotten used to it. We're broken into the idea that this is just the way things are. The people who walk in great darkness have adjusted their eyes. Hope is the most dangerous, foolish thing we can choose. But I'm certain that without it, our souls will surely die. The reality is, if we don't let ourselves engage with our desire and be foolish enough to put our pajamas on inside out and backwards and live with expectancy for God to move and work, then we miss out on the life that Jesus offers. Our deep desires are designed to lead us deeper into the heart of our Father. Our desire is what keeps us connected with eternity and the redemption that is to come. John Eldridge also says, the road to life and joy lies through, not around, the heart sickness of hope deferred. So what are we to do? Well, we wait. We live in the tension. We ache. We cry out. Waiting is an active response to the promises God has made. Every promise God has made is a yes in Jesus Christ. And it hurts. The waiting hurts. But it is there where we find life. Because when we wrestle with hope and disappointment in the presence of our kind and faithful and loving God, who hears us and sees us, we find that all of our deepest desires for wholeness, belonging, love, redemption have been met and fulfilled in Christ. Psalm 33 says, We wait in hope, in expectant longing for the Lord. For he is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice as we trust in his holy name. May we be people who live with expectant longing with our pajamas on inside out and backwards, foolishly trusting God to make this world right here and now, waiting and watching, because we know that God is good and we are expectant that he is at work. Jesus, thank you that your promise is sure, that we can rest in you, that we can trust in you, and that we are safe to be fools in your presence. Would you give us the courage to hope, even in the face of great disappointment and discouragement? We trust and believe that you are good and loving and faithful God.
I am going to jump right into to the scripture today, and we go expository teaching. That means we take verses and we go right through it. And today we're going to be uh, talking on, it's Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 41. And so if you have one of these blue Bibles, it's in the row next to you, uh, or on the cart in the back. It is on page 629. So we're going to start Acts chapter 2, and we're going to get from verses 22 to 41 today. Can you believe it? Wow. We're going to try at least to get that far. Usually I get one word into it, get all choked up and say amen. But today we're going to, we're going to actually try to do this. So I thought for the sake of time, what we're going to do is I'm going to read through this one time and then we're going to begin to talk about what God I think is showing each of us individually and what he's showing us corporately as a church. So I'm excited for the message today and I pray that the Holy Spirit is prompting your heart and mind as we go through this. So let's start. Acts chapter 2. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing or loosing the pangs of death. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Verse 25. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. Verse 28. You have made known to me the path of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord sits, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Jesus, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
God, I pray for us today that as we begin to look at this scripture, that you would take all distraction away from our, our minds and our hearts, that God, you would open up the scripture and that your spirit, your Holy Spirit, you would continue to move us and teach us. God, show us what it is you have for us today. And God, I pray that you show us who you are. In your name we pray, amen. So did this feel like a message that I was just reading? That was actually really hard to read. You should try to read that. That's difficult. This is a message. And so what's happening is, if, if you don't know the backstory of what's happening, is the Holy Spirit has been unleashed. I don't know another way to say it. The Holy Spirit has been unleashed. Jesus had lived and walked with, with men and, and women. And then Jesus died and, and was rose again. And then he unleashed the Holy Spirit on the human race and said, you, when you're a follower of me, I'm giving you my Holy Spirit. Spirit, and I want to do some incredible things in your life. Well, one of the very first things that we see happening when the Holy Spirit is unleashed is these men start speaking in a language that's a heavenly language, and, and all this chaos, good chaos, starts happening, and, and people are drawn, and now, now there's a ton of people, and Peter stands up, and he gives what is the very first message ever in history, and it's Peter. And this is part of his message. As he's standing, and lots of people are wondering, what's going on? These men are drunk. And Peter just in verses earlier said, no, they're not drunk. What's happening is God is doing a new thing. He's unleashing the Holy Spirit. And this, we catch this passage right here in the middle of this message that he's giving people. Scripture is living. Scripture is amazing. Have, Have you spent time in Scripture? Today, I'm going to be vulnerable as we roll up our expository sleeves and we look at Scripture intently. And I pray that this living Scripture will jump off these pages and find its way to your heart. I want to set the stage, though. One of my main jobs is to teach us how to study Scripture. That's one of my main jobs is to teach us how to study Scripture. My job is to teach It is your job to apply Scripture. And it is your job to to tomorrow morning and to tonight, to tonight, and tonight, open up Scripture and begin to talk to God and begin to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Himself to you. If you come on Sunday mornings and think this is it, I'm just not that smart. You're not going to make it till next week. I'd encourage you. My job is to teach us. Your job is to apply the truth. So, May you go into Monday morning more equipped and learned learned to love people. That's the goal. That tomorrow morning, you are more equipped and more in love with God to continue to learn and to love people. Your heart will beat and your soul will leap when you sit with eternity. Your heart will beat and your soul will leap when you sit with eternity. And every time you open scripture and every time you commune with the Holy Spirit, you're sitting with eternity. And the Spirit can teach you and move you and guide you in profound and personal ways. The hardest part for me of writing a message is knowing where to stop. (laughs) 
Today I was like, well, forget it. We're just going to cruise on through a bunch of verses and confuse a whole lot of people, but there's a point to this. The hardest part of writing a message is knowing where to start. If you know me, there's times when I'll say one word and break down crying, saying, can you see this? Can you hear the angels just speaking off of this? Eternity is amidst us right now. Are you in the Word? Are you studying the Word? One word from heaven satisfies and quenches the deepest thirst of our soul. One word from heaven satisfies and quenches the deepest thirsts of our soul. And yet we may have multiple Bibles sitting on our shelf that we're not picking up. And we have an active and living Holy Spirit that wants to teach us and guide us, but we're too busy. Church, I pray that this morning this stuff jumps off, of, off the pages and just finds its way into our heart. This is the eternal word of God, prompted by God. The Holy Spirit teaches us and leads us where he wants us and where we should go. Oh God, that we may know you today and that your, would, that your word would be clear to us. So, Trump is our president. We're called to pray for the people that are in authority over us, whether you got your way or not. Your role is to pray. And I want to remind you of that. As Christians, we support and we love. We're called to do that. Trump won off of passion and off of a a future hope of something great, right? And other things. We're not going to get political here. When someone believes in something, others are drawn in, period. When someone believes in something, others are drawn in. Everyone is looking for something to believe in. Every single human being with a heartbeat is looking for something to believe in. Something that is better. Krista, hope. (laughs) Good job. Something that is better. Peter takes, in this passage, Peter takes this opportunity to point others to Christ. Peter, with everything that's happening right now, with all the chaos, with all the accusations that he is drunk and they are drunk, what does he do? He takes this opportunity to rally together passion and to call others to Christ and to point others to Christ. Look at how much he believes in this powerful message that we're looking at. So look, if you would, look at verse 22. We'll start right there. I'm going to highlight a couple things as we go through this. But look at the passion that Peter has. And people are drawn to passion. Verse 22 says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. I think what's neat is Peter stands up. Now, he's not talking to people that are just Christ followers. He's talking to people that were drawn together because of all the movement and the excitement that was happening. He's talking to a crowd of people, and I think it's pretty bold that when he stands up and he says, no, we're not drunk, you're not seeing it right, God's doing a new thing. And in fact, in verse 22, you guys, you know this, that this God, as you yourselves know, he he states it. He doesn't ask ask a question. He states it. And he says, as all of you know, that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, that was attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in our midst. 
He's saying it as fact because Jesus walked the earth and he's talking to a crowd and going, we can all agree on this as you yourselves know. That's a fact, Jack. Jesus lived a powerful and amazing life. And he stands up and goes, we already know that. That's commonality as he begins his message. Then we get to verse 23, and it says, This Jesus, as he continues to talk, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He's saying this incredible human that walked the earth, that we can attest to, we know you yourselves killed. But it was according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. Oh, this is the part that we get to jump in a little bit. And I get to talk about some fun, fun things. There is a Bible called an interlinear Bible. Some of you are going to love this, okay? Interlinear Bible is, it's a, it's a funny looking Bible. <laughs> and, and you read through in English, and it has English up here. It's, it's kind of like the cheat notes for seminary. So if if you come across any of my professors, don't tell them I have this Bible, okay? So it's English right here, and some of you may need to order it and, and get it because it's an incredible Bible. There's English right here, and then right underneath that is the transliteration, which is Greek that's put into an English way to, to read it, that word right there. And then underneath that, there, there's, there's a theological dictionary of what's happening. And so it takes word by word. It says English, it says Greek, it says transliteration, and then it gives you a strong like dictionary that tells you what that word is all about, and I often pull up my interlinear Bible and start looking through it because I'm looking at, at words. What is God saying, and what's he doing in this, and what's the original text, and it's a great way to study the Bible. You'll go on a lot of tangents, but it's a great way to study the Bible, and as I was looking at that today, uh, or this week, one of the things that I stopped on was definite plan. I was like, what does that mean? Like, what, what's the original word for this? And then, of course, foreknowledge. Is, I, I stopped on that, and I began to look at that as well. So definite plan in, in the Greek originally means um, bole. And that's the Greek word that's used right there, which in the Greek English lexicon means counsel. Okay, are, are you with me? So this word, definite plan, in the original language means counsel. So if we look at this verse right here, it reads, so, so it reads like this, by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. So one possible way to interpret it is that this counsel, this word, one possible way to um, describe the word counsel is a group decision. There's multiple ways to talk about the word counsel and what that means, but one of them is a group decision, a counsel of many. You've heard that? So when we put this in this text right here, God decides together and knows. Huh. Interesting fact. That in the group of many, God decides and he knows. So as Peter is addressing this crowd, he's saying, this man that we know is awesome, you killed him, but God had already decided that it was going to happen this way. In the council of many, which may I propose, the Trinity, God already knew what he was going to do. Now I'm going to get into the part where I really get to teach a bit. 
And you get to, to really think about and dig into your own theology here. Because this word foreknowledge is one of those dangerous words that's going to cause all sorts of dissension in church and cause all sorts of debates and lots of coffee conversations, which are awesome. Uh, but foreknowledge, as we look at so so let, let's look at it again here, just closely in verse 23. It says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan. We already talked about definite plan. And foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So foreknowledge, when we begin to talk about foreknowledge, God knowing, there's different views that that we can take and lots of brilliant men and women have taken throughout history. One is a Calvinistic view. You ever heard of that? Calvinistic view. And the foreknowledge, when we look at this word, foreknowledge is closely tied to foreordained. God already knew. He is in control of every small detail. So if you are of the Calvinistic view, you're going to think and know and drive your life that God is in control of every single small detail of your life. So there's one side of thought. Then there's a complete opposite side of thought, which is an Arminian view. An Arminian view is individual response to God is not predetermined. So in Calvinistic view, God God knows He chose, and you are that. When you think Arminian view, uh, God knows, but you actually have a choice in your salvation. Two opposite sides. And then we've got everything in between. And everything in between, I'll just give you two things. Augustine, a brilliant mind and writer, argued that God lives in eternity where all things are present. There is no past and there's no future. He would not know the things before they happened since he would see all events from the vantage point of the eternal now. That's way too smart for me to understand. Time doesn't exist and so God knew but didn't because time is... Follow Augustine, that's great. Uh, but then there's even, there, then there's even a, a, a realm of thinking in the midst of this called modern process theology. And this one could really ruffle some feathers. Modern process theology says God is growing with nature. God is growing with nature. Can God learn? Have you ever thought about that? Can God learn the all-knowing God? Can he learn? Does that make him any less of a God if he's learning? What do you think about this? We do know that his character does not change, but is it possible that he's continually evolving beauty around us and learning and growing? What do you think about this? This is where I really get to go take it to house church and have a great conversation. I mean, we're talking everything across the board, and you want me to stand up here and say exactly what I think? It differed two years ago than what I think today, and it may actually differ next week I have no idea. It's too smart. I don't know. When we get into the theory of God, I have no idea. Sometimes I'm really convicted about things, and sometimes I'm not so convicted about things. My job is to teach us. Your job is to apply it to your life. I just only pray that this, that as Scripture teaches um, us and God reveals us in life, that you don't use your newfound knowledge and wisdom to puff up an arrogance. 
that you enter into conversations where you may think differently about someone else and you enter into love, not to win a debate that's never going to be proven on either side of the court. Do you love until you dive into your scripture with your head and with your heart? Don't divorce them when you do that. Scripture teaches both God's foreknowledge, and this is important to know, of all things and the responsibility of humans for their choices. Regardless if you're Calvinistic or Arminian, you are in charge of your choices. What are you going to do tomorrow morning when you wake up? Are you going to dive into his word? Or are you going to say, I'm all good? That's a choice you made. Can we jump off of that and get to verse 24? Let's get to verse 24. And I'll leave the house church pastors to take that one on from here. Okay, have fun, guys. (laughs) Okay, verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death. Because it was not possible for him to be healed by it. Verse 25, for David says concerning him. We'll get that in a a minute. Um, The word pangs here means Odin. That's in the original text. Odin is this word. And it means, in essence, it means the pains of childbirth. So when you hear pangs, God raised him up, loosening, which means the pains of childbirth. Just as death could not hold back our Savior, just as a woman cannot hold back the delivery of a child. Like this was going to happen. Peter's quote that he's getting into is in the Greek version. And he's referencing here in the next few verses, Psalm 16, 8 through 11, which is about David. This is important. What he's about to reference, what Peter is about to reference is a quote from Psalms talking about David. You, you following? And so in this passage right here, when we get down to verse 27, it says, You will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Who is Peter talking about? Is this still a quote from David or is this a quote from Peter? Who is he talking about? As much as I can figure out here is Peter is quoting an Old Testament passage that talks about David, but and when he's quoting it here, he's, t- he's quoting it and he's saying it as if then Jesus is saying this. This changes the whole meaning of when you read through this. And so in verse 25 it says, For David said concerning him, now think about this, not as David, but as Jesus saying these words, I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Can you see Jesus as he's walking the earth, praying to his Father and having a conversation? All right, Uh, I just want to point out real quick that uh, in verse, let's say, 32, let's go to verse 32. I'm going to skip a bunch of my notes, is that okay? Yeah, that's okay. Let's go to verse 32, it's getting kind of hot in here. 
Let me catch my notes up here too so we're, we're together. All right, verse, verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. What do you see in these already in verse 32, 33, and, and then it kind of stops right there. You see what? Jesus, you see God, and you see the Holy Spirit. You see the Trinity happening right here. As you continue, and, and we can continue through this, I want to get down to verse 37 because I think we're done with the intellectual stuff here. Let's get down to 37. And it says in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. I, I jumped through a bunch of my notes that just pointed to what Peter was saying. And what Peter was saying is he was referencing the past. He had a crowd of people that were drawn to something incredible. Peter backed it up intellectually in so many ways. And then he, he jumps to verse 37 and says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. One of the awesome side benefits of the Holy Spirit is that it will cut you to the heart. When God speaks and when the Holy Spirit is moving and when there's truth and when there's life and when there's hope, it will cut you to the heart. My prayer for us is a church and I bet it was Peter's prayers, he was addressing the crowd at this time, is that we don't quench the Holy Spirit in our life. Is that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. That we don't get numb to the things of God in our life. And as Peter's giving this address, he's probably praying the Holy Spirit is moving, and what happens when the Holy Spirit moves? It cuts the people to the heart. Church, don't numb the eternal. Don't numb the Holy Spirit in your life. Because if, if you allow God and you allow the Holy Spirit to move in your life, it will cut you to the heart in a beautiful way. God is not asking us to be cold and hard out there and to be warm and soft in here. It's not possible. We cannot do it. What God is asking for us to be is to be led by the Holy Spirit everywhere and to let Him move in our lives every moment of every day. We, though, can get in a pattern of showing up on Sunday morning and putting on our Christian face and dressing up and looking really nice and being super polite to everyone and saying, no, everything's all good, when we had a terrible, rough, and a hard week, and we lived this Christian thing out this morning, and then we leave here, and the very first thing we do is put that aside and start living our Sunday afternoon to Saturday night life of just doing whatever we want, and not paying attention to the Holy Spirit, and not being cut to the core. Living off of our intellect, living off of our experience, living off of our own pride. When we do that, we're not allowing the Holy Spirit or giving the Holy Spirit permission to cut us to the heart. My prayer is that Sunday morning meets Monday morning. My prayer is that what happens in here and what God stirs in our heart and stirs in our mind in this place finds its way to Monday morning. 
and that we're not soft and lovely in here and hard and calloused out there. It's impossible. Either you're soft or you're hard. You can't live both ways. Where are you being cut to the heart, church? When you're cut to the heart, because you're giving God permission to move in your life, it leads to repentance. How will that reality drive your tomorrow morning? As we see many people here in verse 37, after they heard all the proof, after Peter said who God was and the relationship to them and what they had done to him, Peter gave facts and the Holy Spirit moved and we see a great movement of the Holy Spirit to the point where it cuts them to the heart in verse 37. And then we can jump all the way down to verse 41. 3,000 souls that day were added to the church. Where is God convicting you? I think that the beautiful news is in verse 39 for, for all of us in this place today. And so the first half, okay, you loved it if you like facts. But if you're bored right now, listen up. Sit up and pay attention. This is why you're here today, verse 39. This is good news to the weary traveler. For the promises is for you and your children and, all who, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter is standing up as passionately and as intellectually as he can, saying all this good news, everything that you're seeing is for verse 39. And this is good news. This promise is for you and for your children, and for all who is far off. This is good news for the weary traveler today. This, if you have come in here today, and you are on fumes, this is good news for you. If you don't know what to do, and what your next steps are, or what your future holds, this is good news for you today. If you are on the verge of giving up today, right now in your life, in your situation and circumstances, this is good news for you today. This is a promise that you get to hold on to. If you are feeling alone, if you are feeling isolated, if you are, forget, or if you are feeling forgotten or overlooked, this is good news for you today. Verse 39, underline it, highlight it, bold it, do whatever you need to do. If you are believing the lies of Satan, which Satan throws many aliases our way, if you are believing those lies as your, ex- as your existence, then this is good news for you today. Don't adopt the lies that Satan is speaking over you. Adopt the word that God is washing over you. It's your reality. For all those that are brokenhearted, Jesus has died and overcome all sin and all pain that you may have life and you may have hope. Can you see why Peter was so bold when he stood up? And by the way, I do want to point out, <laughs> I think this is kind of, kind of cool. Where is it at? Where is it? Oh, verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness. So you think I'm boring you right now? There was a summary. It just said, and with many other words, Peter bore witness. 
So with many other words, I can bore witness. I mean, I don't know how long this, this message was. I don't know what was happening. But Peter gave those words that we talked through, and some of you are, are yawning and bored with. But with many other words, he continued the message to the point where 3,000 people gave their life to the church, to God that day. So, you're welcome. Not many more words for me. God steps in between you and all the junk of the world. Steps in. Pretty simple message. That's why Peter's so bold. His promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far, far off. So if you were Peter and you were standing in front of a crowd of people that had questions, what would you say? What would your many other words be? How would you describe the person of Jesus Christ? Would it just be intellectual fact, or would it be a relational conversation? I know Jesus. I know what he's done for my life. I might not know all that other stuff about him and all this other theology and interlinear junk and all that, but I do know this. God is good. He loves me. He picks me up out of the depths and despair of my life, and he gives me great hope. Amen, Kristen. He gives us great hope. If you can say that, you have a relationship with Christ, and I, I, I hope, you stand before many crowds and just say that. Just say who God is and what he's done in your life and in your heart with many other words. Cry out to people that have no answer. Many people that have come before us have said this, we are just beggars showing other beggars where we found food. Praise God. Church Project, I want want to chat for just a few minutes. What would you say about God, Christ, in your life? I think even as a church, we need to start asking this question in a big way. Obviously, look around. God's adding to our numbers. Not 3,000 in one week, or else West and you would be in trouble, bro. We couldn't fit in here. But he's adding to our numbers. He's growing us by heart. He's growing us in our mind. I even heard rumors of a house church practicing their gifts last week. Amen. Like we are people that are growing because God is moving in us. I warn you for 2017, I don't know what that means for church project. I just know that that even in this room, we're not going to be able to fit in here. I would already be asking you to pray. Pray that what does this mean for church project? Like, where do we go physically? Where do we meet on Sunday mornings? What does God have for us? Begin to pray for your church. Because I believe in this message, and you believe in this message. And I believe that when we speak heaven into dark places, people see the message, and their life is changed. 2017 is going to be a year of acceleration. Acceleration for you individually, and a year of acceleration for us corporately as church project. 2017, we are expectant of great things. 
God is doing great things. I already know. I've had conversations with some of you where already in 2017, God has broken a lot of chains in your life. And I say, amen. Amen. That's why it's so hard to speak for me up here sometimes. It's because I see your faces and I know your stories. And I just want to say, praise God. May he continue to have his way in your heart and life. And may it make your marriage better. May it continue to break all your addictions. May it give you hope. I can't look at you anymore. <laughs> um, I can't even see my notes. Okay. One of the things that I want us to pray for this morning um, is, we're, we're done, by the way. Close your Bible. One of the things I want us to pray for us this morning is yesterday I was able to drive down to Children's uh, Hospital in uh, Aurora, down in Denver. And our beautiful, I, I think they're the most beautiful family we have in Church Project, the Flanagans. Um, their, their little daughter, two years old, is, is Zoan. And if, if you know her, she's just tiny and, and precious and has tons of physical problems. Uh, but, you, but she had a huge surgery two days ago. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a devastatingly invasive surgery that she just had. And so yesterday... Lauren and I were able to drive down and anoint her with oil and ask God to just heal this baby, but she needs prayer. And so this morning, I want to pray on behalf of Zoan. I want to pray on behalf of Dan and Naomi, the mom and dad, that God would heal this little baby who right now is, is, is just trying to heal from this massive surgery. This is life. This is real. This is why we need relationships. This is why we're joining together and God's growing to our numbers. We're just not talking about theology. We're living our theology. We're going to grow in our theology, but we're going to grow relationally in our theology. So if you're looking for that, you're in a good place. Welcome to Church Project. Uh, I'm going to ask us right now, if you would, um, Weston, if you want to dim the lights. This is officially going to be the end of, of our gathering this morning but I don't want it to end at the same time. And so if, if you would like to pray, I'm going to pray, uh, or, or you would like someone to pray over you, or, or you would like someone to just come along aside you and in agreement with something that you think God's doing in your heart and in your mind, then I'm going to invite our prayer team. It's like Christina and, and Ann and Jared doesn't know it, but he's going to be part of the prayer team too over there. Uh, and... There's three individuals that, that love you and love to pray over you and with you and for you. But this is officially going to be um, the end. And so if you would, just stand up. And I would, I would love to pray a blessing over you, that you would receive this blessing. And um, then if you would, just move to the, to the prayer team and pray if you would like or continue to conver- uh, just have conversations in this place. That's, that's great. But please receive this blessing over your life today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray over your people today. I pray that you would bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them. Be gracious to them. I pray that you would lift up your countenance and give them your peace, that your kingdom would come and your perfect will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
let righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit be present in their lives. May they be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water that yields their fruit in every season and may their leaves never wither. And may everything that their hands touch prosper. May we live 2017 in a spirit of acceleration. And may the power of the Holy Spirit be evident in their lives every day of this year. God, thank you for bringing us together today. And as your body, God, we come together and we do pray for little Zoe. You can heal. We ask that you would heal that any vessel that's not operating the way it should, any body, any part, any organ, any muscle, that God, from her head to her toe, you would be the great physician and you would heal her. And God, I pray for Dan and Naomi as they have adopted this beautiful young girl. Just like you have adopted us, Christ, that you would give them great joy and peace watching their little girl suffer. May you remind them that you are in control. God, we stand and ask to see a miracle in their life. And God, we stand and ask to see a miracle in all of our lives.